turn with me to the book of Daniel. The message this morning, uh, specifically, I guess, aimed at our graduates, but certainly for every one of us, uh, a good, uh, proper introduction to facing uncertain days. All of us are facing those days. If you turned on the news this morning, you would agree these are uncertain days. Uh, We don't know what tomorrow holds, uh, but I'm thankful to know, praise God, we know who holds tomorrow. Amen? The book of Daniel, it is a picture of a story that you're very familiar with. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at four particular young people that God had his hand upon, that God had a plan for, that God had a, a wonderful divine plan to prosper them. He already was. And uh, unfortunately, the world sought to lure. The world sought to lure. Let me just kind of preface and let you know what's going on here in the first chapter of the book of Daniel. And by the way, specifically, we're going to be looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've heard of them, right? But you cannot look at those three characters without backing up and looking at their friend, Daniel. Daniel set a high mark for these boys to follow. He was the kind of friend you and I need. He was the kind of friend that was an encourager uh, that challenged his friends to be better in their walk with their God as well. Well, here's what's going on. Nebuchadnezzar is now king of Babylon. Babylon always a picture uh, of evil, a picture of the enemy, a picture not only of the enemy of the Jews, but your enemy, my enemy, Satan himself. And the Bible said he besieged Jerusalem. And uh, upon that time, King Nebuchadnezzar, he spoke to the master of his eunuchs and he said this, verse 3, Bring to me certain children of Israel, of the king's seed and of the princes, and specifically... He didn't want just any rugrats. He said this, verse 4. I want children in whom there's no blemish. I want well-favored children, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge and understanding, those good in science, those who have great abilities, and those that I might teach the learning of the Chaldeans. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar's command went out, bring me the best and the brightest. Bring me the most gifted, the most well-equipped, but also bring me those who are already indoctrinated. Bring me those who are well-versed in their faith. He wasn't intimidated by the fact that these were scholars, Jewish scholars. When I read this and I come down a few more verses and I see that that Nebuchadnezzar is convinced, verse number 5, that if he could only get these wise young people, these indoctrinated young people for three years, he could turn them from their foundation of faith to the way of the Babylonians. And in fact, the Bible says that after that three years, verse 5, the last part, he's convinced that after three years, they will be ready to bow to him. Beloved, may I say to you, that you and I will only bow in all of eternity to one king, and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When we look at this particular text, we see that there's a battle going on for young people. And beloved, there's a battle today in America for young people. 
There is a battle for the hearts and minds and futures and destinies of young people. And just like in Daniel chapter 1, God has given them a foundation. We had our our graduates line up today. And and these are young people who've been brought up in the church. They know the ABCs and the 123s of their faith. They know who Jesus is. They know about his miracles. They know about his grace. They have received him as Savior. They have built a life through the work of their parents and the work of the church. They have a solid foundation. But I'm also here to tell you that the Nebuchadnezzar of this world is still out for them. He is still convinced that he can pervert their ways, taking something precious and making something perverse. He is convinced that he can change their direction and their directives, change their passion and their purpose, that he can water down all that they've ever been told and convince them that there's no truth to it at all. The heartbreaking statistic that hits us in the face this morning is that between 80 and 90% of young people who grow up in the church, going to Sunday school, going to vacation Bible school, going to children's church, attending worship, uh, going through all of the, all of the, the practices of church, 80 to 90% when they grow up and leave, to college or career or military or whatever it might be, 80 to 90% will never return to the church. Now that's heartbreaking. That's why so many of our churches today have no young people. They grew them up, they sent them off, and they never returned. Graduates, those that are going off to college, let me guarantee you, you're going to have Professor Puppernickel Who's going to look you in the face and tell you everything your mom and daddy told you was true is nothing but a lie. Going to tell you your preacher was a fool. Your Sunday school teacher was a lunatic. And that you need to believe only that which you can see and touch and feel. There is no morality. Everything is relative. Do what you want to do. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever feels good you'll be taught. Beloved, when I read Daniel chapter 1, not only do I see this word of prophecy, but I see the year 2016 in a postmodern America, in a politically correct, but spiritually corrupt society. Three things I'm going to give you, and I'm not going to keep you long because we've got lunch for the graduates and I get to go. Number one. We're going to look at the call to compromise. Number two, the culture of conformity. And number three, the choice of certainty. Number one, there was a call to compromise. Nebuchadnezzar made this call and said, bring me these young people, bring them to me. But ultimately, they had a choice. Young people, one of the greatest things about living in America is you have a choice. You are free. No one can direct how you think or how you act or what you do. You have a choice. Even your nutty professors will agree with that. And my prayer is that your call will not come to compromise, but to stand firm. Father, take these few moments of study that we have. Not only bless, Father, but help us understand that these uncertain days that we're facing, we're not facing them Alone, We're not facing them without hope. We are not facing them in any other way but hopeful. Lord, full of hope, full of the grace of God, knowing that whatever we might face, uncertain days as they are, we are standing with you. You are standing with us, and we will never, ever stand alone. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look at this particular text, it's important we don't miss a few details here. Verse 6, among the children 
that were gathered together among the children that would be brought to Nebuchadnezzar were these four. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now you say, no, wait a minute, Daniel I've heard of. you got a whole book of the Bible written about him. But the other three, I don't know them. Oh, you do. You just know them by a different name. Now let's think on this. Here are the names we find in the Word of God, Daniel. You know what that means? It means Jehovah is God. And Jehovah is judge. In other words, Daniel's name means this, I will only answer to God. That's good, isn't it? What a name. If your name today is Daniel, what a name you have. I will only answer to God. Hananiah means this, Jehovah is gracious. Mishael means who is like Jehovah. There is no God but Jehovah. And Azariah means Jehovah is my help. Jehovah is my help. These were who these boys were. But Nebuchadnezzar wanted to cause them to forget who they were. To forget their traditions. To forget their foundation. To forget everything about the past. Oh no, not anymore. From now on, boys, Daniel, you're going to be called Belshazzar. Which means Baal will protect. Baal being the god of wealth. Shadrach, he would now be Hananiah. Hananiah now... Jehovah is gracious. No, no, no. Not anymore. Shadrach. His name is going to be inspired of Aku, God of the world. Literally, God of the moon. Now think about that. We'll just think about the things about the world. There's nothing beyond this present world. Mishael would become Meshach, meaning belonging to Aku, the same God. Belonging to what? The world. Belonging to the world. Listen, friend, if you're a believer in Christ today, you're not of this world. The things of this world no longer entertain you. They no longer captivate you. But Mishael would become property of Aku. Azariah, remember Jehovah is my help now. He would be called Abednego. Abednego, a servant of Nego or a servant of Nebo. Nebo being the God of wisdom. Now, Now, again, I don't want you to miss this. Think about this. Nebuchadnezzar is wanting to turn them away from Jehovah to the God of wealth, to the God of the world, and then thirdly, to the God of wisdom. Is that not what lures our generation today? The promise of wealth, whatever it takes, the promise of the world's goods, the promise of the wisdom of this old world. I'm always amazed. We're called fools because we believe there is a divine being who spoke all matters into existence. But the wise people believe, we don't know how we got here. One day there was a big boom and here we are. That takes far more faith than I have. Far more faith than I have. But I want you to know today, young people and adults as well, there is no God but Jehovah. Who is Jehovah? Jehovah, and according to the word of God, number one, Jehovah Jireh, that is God my provider. Jehovah Rapha, God my healer. Jehovah Nisi, God my banner. Jehovah Kadesh, God my holiness. Jehovah Shalom, God my peace. Jehovah Elohim, God my Lord. Jehovah Siddiquanu, God my righteousness. Jehovah Rohi, God my shepherd. Jehovah Shama, God that is there. Jehovah Sabaoth, God that is the Lord of hosts. 
That is the God that was with David when he fought the giant. He is my God. He is my Jehovah. He is my God, my very present help in time of trouble. He is my advocate, my confidant. He is my everlasting father, but he is also my earthly friend. He is my all in all. And when he's all I have, he is all I need. And I shall never, ever, ever forget it. That is the foundation of my faith. But there's a call. There's a call to compromise that is stronger than ever before. To compromise what I believe. To compromise what I live for. To compromise my standards of living. Number two. Not only is there a call to compromise, there's also a culture here of conformity. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar says. I will feed them from my table. I will give them my wine to drink. And they will become just like one of us. We want to fit in, don't we? We, we, we want to be one of the gang. We want to be one of the guys. We want to be one of the girls. And, and sometimes we think about peer pressure being a teenage thing, but it is in every age. Always remember, young people and adults as well, the definition of the word cool is this, not so hot. Right, Haley? How many times have I told you that? Not so hot. Everywhere around us, the culture is conforming. Everything is okay today. We can use whatever bathroom we feel like on any given day. Marijuana becoming legal in so many states. Listen, I want to tell you, I'm concerned about a culture that thinks that ought to be legal. I think alcohol ought to be legal too, but that's just my two cents worth. I don't understand the things going on around us and it seems like churches and and so-called Christian people are just giving in and saying, well, it's okay, it's okay. One step at a time, drifting further and further and further away. Adults, and I'm one of you, we stand and we criticize the younger generation. But the reason things are in such a mess for the younger generation is because we've given them such a generation to inherit Somewhere, it was our generation that took prayer out of schools, not theirs. It was our generation that said, oh, it's okay, do anything you want to do, live any old way, and allow the, the nation to run its own course and make its own rules and drift further and further and further away from God. We are living in a culture that says, it is okay, do whatever you want. I found that somewhere else in the Bible, and it was in the days of Noah. The Bible says that man did whatever was right in his own eyes, and the Bible said those would be the same days of the return of Christ. May I say to you, you have a daily decision whether you're going to conform or be transformed. Romans chapter 12. Paul says this, I beseech you, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says this, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Those are the only two choices. Confirmation, transformation. I'm not going to be conformed, but I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I'm going to be in the Word of God. One of the reasons I'm convinced that so many young people drift away from the church is because the moment they get out of the, 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 uh, the, you know, the church and Sunday school and all those things, they're no longer in the Word of God and they forget the precious, precious love of God. They forget about the promises of Scripture. You see, the culture of conformity is to say, you know what? This is an archaic old book written thousands of years ago. But beloved, may I say to you, it is more accurate than tomorrow's news. There was a culture all around them. Can I tell you? The culture that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would face would be an inviting culture. 
It would be a party atmosphere. Here's the, de- here's the deal. They can either be slaves. Don't miss this, y'all. They can either be slaves or they could be in the center of the party. Nebuchadnezzar was saying, here's the deal, boys. I'm going to take you out of a life of, of being slaves. And I'm going to allow you to come and to eat at my table and, and drink at my table and, and party at my parties and have everything you want. You can come and just live it up. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, here's this. We'd rather be slaves of King Jesus than to party in your king's house. How about it? Have we made such a decision? Number one, we see there's a call to compromise. Number two, we see there's a culture to conform to. But I want to close with number three. There is also a choice of absolute certainty. When we find the choices made by Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's no maybe, I'm not sure, I think so. It is a choice of absolute certainty. And by the way, I believe this decision was made far before they were meeting here with the chief of the eunuchs. They had already purposed in their heart, verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That was a decision he had already made. I'm not going to allow my heart to be defiled, nor at the portion of the king's meat, nor his wine. Therefore, he requested that the prince of the eunuchs, that he might not defile himself. And God somehow brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. I want to give you a couple of things, and I'm going to close. The choice of certainty. Daniel, in in chapter 1, and then in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they made a choice, and it was to take a stand for their God. I want to ask you this morning, are you taking a stand? I don't mean an arrogant, haughty stand. I don't mean just to stand against lost people. We need to be standing with lost people, loving on them in Jesus' name. But I'm talking about taking a stand that I'm not going to conform And I'm not going to compromise. Here it is. Chapter number 3, the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar once again. You know the story. I'm I'm just going to give you kind of the the quick overview of it. Nebuchadnezzar would build a statue. uh, Just, you know, beautiful thing. And man, it would be impressive. And people would come from far and wide to see it and to witness such a statue. And he said, listen, when the band strikes up, when the band gets to play it, here's the decree. Everybody has to bow down and worship. And by the way, when Nebuchadnezzar the king made a decree, it was an irreversible decree. He could not erase it. He could not change it. He could not alter it in any way. It was fixed and fast. And he said, when the band begins to play, everybody must bow. So sure enough, the band struck up and they began to play and everybody immediately fell on their face and began worshiping the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody except three boys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember them. Maybe you remember them better by their former names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know, Jehovah's gracious. Who is like Jehovah? Jehovah is my help. That's who they were standing for. Well, Nebuchadnezzar got word because they're always going to be accusers. Did you know that? When you do the right thing, there's always going to be somebody to accuse you. So they went running to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, hell, the king. You're the most wonderful king. We love you, king. You're awesome, king. But king, we got something to tell you. Always be careful when somebody starts buttering you up. King, we got something to tell you. King, you know those three Hebrew boys, those friends of Daniel's? Well, of course I do. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're, they're, they're my boys, he said. They said, oh, no, they're not. Oh, no, they're not. When everybody else bowed, they refused to bow. King Nebuchadnezzar was so mad. And he knew that he had made a decree that if they didn't bow, they had to go in the fiery furnace. 
But he thought, you know, I really don't want to do that to the boys. So he brought him before him and he said, boys, I understand you didn't bow. No, sir, we're not going to. Well, now, boys, now listen. Let's be civilized about this thing. Let's talk about it. Listen, some things we don't need to talk about. Some things are, we, we, we don't need to arbitrate. Some things we just need to stand for. And, 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 and Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you another chance. And I believe one of them probably spoke up and said, you can give us chances from here to kingdom come. We're not going to bow. He said, but I'm going to give you another chance anyhow. He said, now, when you hear the band play, you've got to bow, boys, or we're going to heat that fire up seven times hotter than it ever been heated up before, and you're going to go with it. It's a one-way ticket. All right? Strike up the band. And the band began to play, and the boys said, listen, we're not going to bow. God may save us from that fire. God may not save us from that fire, but we are not going to bow. Well, now Nebuchadnezzar became seven times madder, and therefore the, the fire seven times hotter than it had ever been before. In fact, it was so hot that when the guard of, of, of the furnace opened the door to throw the boys in, instantly they were singed and perished. Well, you know what would happen. The keeper of the furnace would look in. And to his amazement and astonishment, he says, wait a minute. And if you read the text, there's a few things in there that you really don't want to skip over. He said, wait a minute. There are not three in there anymore, but there are four. And they're up walking around. Now, now listen, you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? You know, they could have been sitting back in lounge chairs for all I care. Oh, it means something, y'all. Sometimes we're going to have to go through some fire. But keep on walking, keep on going, keep on trudging along, knowing that he is with you. Because then they said, wait a minute, there's four. And the form of the fourth man in the fire is like the Son of God. It was a picture of the pre-incarnate Christ. It says, wait a minute, God's in there with them. I don't understand this. Not one hair upon their head, not one hair upon their chinny-chin-chin has even been singed. I don't understand it. It's because God has been in the fire with them. It's just been a little while since Nebuchadnezzar was so mad he yelled and screamed at them boys, I imagine. But now he tells them to bring the boys out of the fire. And he wants to talk to them. Don't you imagine his tone was a bit different? <laughs> Shadrach, me, Meshach, Abednego, fellas, how are you? How you been? <laughs> and he made a new decree that there would be no other God, for there was no other God that could deliver except the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wow. What a story. Here's what I want you to get and we're done. The Hebrew boys, when they were told to bow, here's the decisions that they made. Number one, they chose to stand up. There is a picture in this text of what it looks like to stand up for one's faith. It makes you go against everyone else. It brings you ridicule and criticism. Fingers will be pointed at you. I want to ask you, are you willing to stand up for your faith? They would not bow. Young people, when somebody hands you a drink that you know you ought not take, do you have the guts to stand up for what you believe? Young ladies and young men, when somebody comes to you and says, if you love me, you will, do you have the courage to stand up and say, no, I won't? Adults, when you're on your, your, your workplace and someone says, well, you know, if you want to get ahead, you might need to break the rules a little bit. Are you willing to say, no, I'm going to stand up for what I believe? It's time Christians stand up. Number two, not only did they stand up, they stood out. 
When you stand up these days, you will stand up. You will become uh, the, the, the outcast. You will, you will not get invited to certain places. You will be ostracized from certain groups. I remember young people when I was a teenager and I got invited to a birthday party. Now, I, I know I wouldn't cool. I ain't never been cool. I ain't never going to be cool. But I got invited to this birthday party and I didn't know what kind of party it was. And when I got there, I was directed to the basement. Never trust a party going on in a basement. Just something about that. But anyway, and I remember walking down the stairs and the musicals are going and, and the booze were flowing and I got to the bottom of those stairs and I said, Lord God, help me get out of this place. I don't belong here. This ain't what I thought I was getting myself into. I mean, I thought we was going to have a birthday party and sing and have a cake and I mean, I was just ignorant, I reckon and I jumped, turned around, run up those stairs. They laughed at me, called me names, couldn't wait to get to school to talk about me. But friend, I just didn't belong there. Can I tell you? It's time that Christians realize where they belong and where they don't belong and sometimes you just got to stand out. Stand out. A young lady came to me some years ago. And she said, please pray for me. I said, what's wrong? And this is going to be plain. I said, what's wrong? She said, all my friends are laughing at me. And they're making fun of me. And I said, well, honey, why? She said, because they said I'm the only virgin in my class. Well, amen. Amen that you got the courage to stand out. See, 50 years ago, you stood out if you were doing wrong. What a shame to think that now you stand out if you're doing right. Number three, stand up, stand out. Number three, stand together. Imagine if it was only Shadrach or if it was only Meshach, if it was only Abednego. You reckon they'd had the courage? I hope they would have. But there is something about strength in numbers. There's something about knowing that you are not alone. Thankful for the presence of God, but also for the presence of one another. One of the reasons we come to church is that we can stand together. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to know that they stood one body, the body of Christ in that place, standing together. Church, we need to stand together. Not just opposing issues, but standing together for what we believe. Next, they stood with. Now think about this. I'm about done. I I don't know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've never met them. I'd like to one day, and I will. But I would imagine that anytime you've got a group of three fellas... They're not going to be carbon copies of one another. I would imagine one of those boys was stronger than the other. Of the three, there was one that was probably really strong and maybe one that was a little weaker. You just don't know. But any group I've ever been around, that's how it is. Kind of like a team, right? You know, not everybody bats first or bats clean up, that kind of thing. Somebody brings up the rear, that kind of stuff. Well, I would imagine that there was one of that group that really needed somebody to stand with them. Can I tell you, if you've ever been a part of the Special Olympics, what a blessing. And the greatest job to do as a volunteer with the Special Olympics is to go and stand with the athletes. If they're running, you run with them. If they're doing hurdles, you do hurdles with them. Whatever they're doing, you just stand with them. And it gives them confidence and it gives them courage and it gives them the passion that they need. You see, as a church, we need to go to those who are the weaker vessels and stand with them. When we see a family and, 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 and maybe the husband and wife are going through a difficult time, don't stand at a distance and talk about them. Go stand with them and help them through it. When our children are wandering and straying, don't stand at a distance. Go stand with them and help them through it. Whatever it might be, stand with one another. Guys, when you go off to college, you find you a group of people that you can stand with, that you can stand together with, that you can know that you've got strength in that number. Next, make sure you're standing on. What do we say? It's one thing to stand. You know, there are people that stand just because they're so stubborn. They want to stand for something, you know. 
The old song says, I got to stand for something or I'll fall for anything. It's not about standing for something, but it's about standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let His glory ring. Listen, it's important that we understand that we're to stand on that which we need to stand upon, and that is the precious Word of God. As individuals and as a church, standing on our principles, and finally, we're also to stand firm. You know, the first time Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up, it took courage. When they came before Nebuchadnezzar, it took even more courage. But brothers and sisters, when they opened those doors and they saw those fellows singed instantly, it took a whole lot more courage than they had ever needed before to stand firm. I believe and submit to you that there are going to come more difficult days in our future. It's going to be more difficult and more difficult to stand firm, but we must. Finally, and I'm done. All of these ways that we stand, think about that. We stand up, stand out, we stand together, we stand with, we stand on, we stand firm. But there's one promise that we need never forget, and that is that we will never, ever stand alone. We will never stand alone. He is there with us. Can you imagine the feeling of those three Hebrew boys when they looked around and they saw the Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son of Almighty God with them walking. Listen, He walked through the fire. Important, don't miss this. When He got in the fire, the fire didn't quit. The fire didn't just stop. They were still in the fire, but He was walking them through it. You might be in the midst of the fire today. Keep on walking. Keep on trusting the one that will be with you every step of the way. Father, I thank you for the precious word of God that we can rely upon, we can count upon, we can build our life upon. Father, I pray in the stillness of this moment that you might speak to our hearts and we might respond as you'd have us to. God, I thank you so much for our graduates, but for every person in this room that, Lord, just needs to make a decision to stand for that which is right. God, those that oppose right, they're standing tall, they're standing firm, they're standing proud. And God, we seem to be hunkered down in our churches. It's time we stand. Stand boldly, but also stand compassionately over those who are just so desperately lost. Father, we have a heart that is broken for our nation and our culture. But God, may we stand, Lord, realizing that we're standing on the winning side. But may we want others to know that same victory. Lord, it's a complicated subject. And Father, I pray you'd make it clear. Bless us in this time of invitation, I pray, as we decide today to follow you. In Jesus' sweet name, amen. Would you stand to your feet all over the house of God as we make that decision? Maybe you've got a decision to make for salvation, for a recommitment of your life, for church membership as some did at the Lake Church this morning. Whatever it might be, would you come?